Guys, I'm bringing the party to you. Samsonite. I was way off. Hold on to your butts. I'm not even mad. That's amazing. Great to have you on the Stephen Corson Show, where we like to talk about money, life, and everything else. This show is all about revamping how you think about money and how to use it to live the life that you want. I'm excited you made this show part of your financial journey. So let's get to it. So let me ask you a question. We have the internet, and on the internet is stored the majority of human knowledge. Uh, and the majority of people in the world have access to it. But let's just go with the United States for, uh, for this example. Almost 400 million people, uh, very uh, prosperous country in general. And um, you know, just about everybody has access to the internet. If you don't, uh, you can go to the library and get access to it. And you can find out how to be a millionaire in about 30 minutes. Uh, I could easily do a podcast and teach you in about 20 minutes how to be a millionaire, or at least one way to get there. There's obviously a lot of different ways to do that. So if it's so easy to find ways to become a millionaire, then why isn't everybody in America a millionaire? Why is not even half of people in the United States a millionaire? In fact, if knowledge was the answer to all of our money problems, and just knowing things, then why is it that, forget millionaire status, over half the people in the United States can't handle a $1,000 emergency right now? They'd have to take out debt in order to do it. Why is that? Well, clearly, knowledge is not the problem. You can get on YouTube, listen to podcasts, uh, probably just you know show up somewhere and talk to somebody who's relatively rich, and they could tell you, like I said, Finding ways to become a millionaire is not complicated from a knowledge standpoint. So why is everybody so broke? Well, I'll tell you why. Because as I like to tell people, we are not squirrels. What do I mean by that? You know, fluffy little squirrels that uh, chipmunks, wherever you're from. (laughs) Uh, Well, here's the funny thing about them. They go and throughout the year... They find all these acorns and these nuts that are lying all over the ground and they bury them and they bury so much of them that they actually forget where they bury them. So even when they store them away in tree trunks or bury them in the ground or whatever the case is, they actually never go back and find them all. It is in their nature. It is part of their quote unquote personality to find nuts, bury them, acorns, bury them, store them away for when the winter comes and you know they need to have stores of food. And it's part of who they are. Well, we are not squirrels. We are not chipmunks. And we do the exact opposite. We get money, we spend money. We get money, we spend money. We don't get money, we still spend money. <laughs> it's, it, that is the cycle of, uh, of that the human uh, experience right now tends to kind of fall into. Now, there are a couple exceptions. Um, you do have some cultures, like in Germany, for instance, where actually... They are notorious savers, but they are actually much less likely to invest. And there's a whole different level of um, challenges that come with that. But I digress. For the most part, we're going to focus on the majority of humans right now, which are in debt. And we're going to talk about that. And the way to start to begin that is to understand your money personality type. Now, a lot of you have probably heard about the two big ones. You're either a spender or a saver, right? And that's nice. And it's good that you can kind of segue or, or, you know, you can kind of, you know, move into one of those two categories. But 
just understanding the difference between spender saver is a little simplistic. Um, there's actually seven money personality types within those that I want to dive into more because they're a lot more prescriptive. They're much more specific and there's action items that you can take from them. You can be a different kind of spender and a different kind of saver. There's benefits to both. So in order to really say, well, this is what how you need to kind of operate from now on, we need to understand a little more. So the seven money personality types are the compulsive saver, the compulsive spender, the compulsive money maker, the indifferent to money, the saver splurger, the gambler, and the worrier. So let's go through and let's talk about these seven personality types, the benefits of them and the downsides to them. Because again, once you really start to understand yourself and your behaviors, then you can start applying the knowledge in order to make the differences. It is a combination between knowledge and behavior. Honestly, I would skew it 80% into behavior, uh, 20% into knowledge, and it might even be more than that. So let's get into the first one, the compulsive saver. You put away money endlessly, sometimes with no actual end goal in mind. So you, this one we probably could call a squirrel, <laughs> pretty close to it. Compulsive saver, if we were to tie spirit animals to these things, you might be a chipmunk or a squirrel in this situation. You believe saving money is the only way to feel more secure in life. You're very frugal. Friends will often come to you for advice on like which phone company is the cheapest or, you know, what what point cards should you have or, you know, hey, when should I buy plane tickets? Maybe they ask you to to plan, you know, certain trips because they know that you're going to get the best deals for them. Uh, that is what compulsive savers are and kind of what they're known for. Now, some of the pitfalls of that is that compulsive savers are so afraid of losing money that they can go their entire lives without spending any of what they've worked so hard to save. The other problem is that a lot of times they can skip out on hobbies and activities that could bring them happiness and purpose. And usually, if you're a compulsive saver, and I would not put the majority of the population in this category, unfortunately, um, but if you are a compulsive saver, there's a good chance that you probably had uh, growing up a very unstable relationship with money. Uh, you probably grew up in a situation to where it would come in, come out. Didn't necessarily mean that you, you grew up in a poor situation, but it could meant that uh, maybe your parents or one parent, uh, you know, went through wild swings. You know, we'll get into the personality type later, but kind of like a gambler, uh, and that could make you feel insecure when it comes to money. So, you know, little little potential psychoanalysis there. Not saying that's exactly what it is or the reasoning, but. Um, I know one person in particular, and that would definitely fit the bill for them. Um, so just remember, it's about moderation. You have to learn to find a balance between saving money and enjoying life. You also need to be able to accept a little bit of risk and invest. A lot of compulsive savers are not very good investors. So that is something that you really need to consider, especially if you're young, that, hey, maybe I do need to take a little bit of risk uh, in order to get my portfolio to grow and get my money working for me. So number two, the compulsive spender. So signs you might be a compulsive spender would be like if you have an outgoing personality, love treating people to something special, sometimes for no reason at all. You know, you tend to spend money on things you don't really need. Um, and this is a big one, maybe especially when you're you have like emotional distress um, uh, uh, what do they call it? Retail therapy <laughs> uh, tends to be the answer to 
your problems. Hey, I'm not, I'm feeling sad. Something happened. I'm not having a good day. I, I, you know what? I'm just going to go out and buy a new shirt or I'm, I'm going to get some new shoes, something like that. Th- that is the compulsive span, uh, spender. Amazon, that, that buy with one click button is your best friend in those moments. Um, you know, that's something to definitely watch out for. So there's some obvious pitfalls to this one. A lot of compulsive spenders can have a lot of debt and be very comfortable with it, by the way. Um, They go on shopping sprees a lot. They might even try to hide large purchases from friends and family in extreme cases uh, because uh, sometimes even compulsive spenders are aware that they are compulsive spenders and they're actually embarrassed by it. Um, You know, so obviously if you fall in this category, the most immediate danger to you is bankruptcy. You have to be careful. Um, So, you know, having a budget, things that help with this, seeing money in a different light, uh, reminding yourself that uh, things are not necessarily the answer to making you happy. Uh, That's huge. Uh, it's and sometimes you know compulsive spenders they're not necessarily buying monetary things they could be like oh I, I just I know one girl when she gets stressed out I, I need to go eat at a new restaurant it could be an experience like food I, I just I live in a big city when I get stressed out I just want to go try food okay so you know and that's what she does and or could be travel okay I just you know what I need a weekend trip I just need to get away do something that could all fall under compulsive spending don't think that being a compulsive spender is just about going out and buying new handbags or, you know, new gym clothes or whatever the case, uh, you know, new pair of golf clubs. That's not necessarily what it is. It's literally just the need to spend money on material possessions or experiences in order to escape whatever negative feelings that you're having. So that's that one. Uh, The third one is the compulsive moneymaker. Now, this one, I'm sure a lot of you heard and were like, ooh, uh, raise my hand for that one. If I'm going to have a personality type and I'm going to have a problem, I want to be the compulsive moneymaker. Well, let's talk about that one. So, you know, signs you might be a compulsive moneymaker. It would be that you believe that earning more money is the secret of happiness. You spend most of your energy on trying to make as much money as possible. And you get pleasure from the approval and recognition from other people for your financial success. Okay, yeah, I think we've all uh, either had you know a, a dad, <laughs> or or knew somebody's dad who was a lot like this. Um, very, you know, this one definitely can uh, skew a lot more to the guys because one, we feel the need to provide, we feel the need to have things in order to attract a mate. Um, we find, uh, you know, tend to find a lot more gratification in our work. Uh, not saying that it, it's not that way for the ladies at all, but, you know, it, it's definitely one of those things that, um, you know, the expectation culturally on the man is that, you, you know, to, to quote my, my friend's uh, grandmother, <laughs> I'll never forget this. She said, uh, uh, a broke man is like a broke hand, can't do nothing with it. So there's definitely some societal and cultural expectations there, which tend to kind of push guys into this area a little more than than women. And again, the big problem with this one is you can miss out on a lot of life. You can miss out on time with family. You can miss out on um, important events. Uh, this is, like I said, this one has a lot of pitfalls to it. And the other thing is men tend to chase respect. And a lot of times, uh, unhappy men who are not happy with their home lives, they will double down within their jobs because they may be respected there. And they may not be feeling that at home, whether they deserve it or not. 
So they'll go someplace where they can find it. And it's easy to justify, well, home life isn't great. I'm going to stay a couple of extra hours at work and at least I'll be able to bring home a little extra bacon. And then I feel a little bit better about myself because, um, you know, I'm providing for my family, even though, you know, money again, doesn't solve any of that stuff. Uh, or rarely does. So anyway, definitely some pitfalls with this one. I don't want to glorify it. Um, it's great. You know, it does solve other problems, but at the same time, it creates some. So just recognize there's more to life than money. That's the advice for this one. If you have a sizable amount of wealth, um, give it purpose by helping other people, donating to causes, you know, take vacations with people that are important to you. Um, that's what you got to do if you're a compulsive money maker. Number four, the indifference to money. Now, this one is probably where my wife used to be when I first met her. I don't know if I would categorize her in this anymore, but she was definitely pretty close to this. So you rarely think about money. Uh, I mean, just thinking about a budget makes you nauseous. Um, you know, you may believe that money is inherently bad or evil. You may have a negative connotation to money, which is why you choose to be completely indifferent to it. Um, and then you may strongly feel that money shouldn't influence important decisions in your life. The things that you want to do, uh, money should not, should not matter. And you know what? You could be right or wrong about that potentially. So some of the pitfalls here is that people who are indifferent to money only feel like they need a modest amount of money to be happy. And that is actually a really good mindset. I would encourage that. However, things can get really ugly if people who are indifferent with their money, uh, are not responsible with their finances. So it doesn't matter if you're single, it, it, you maybe could be a little bit more indifferent to money if you have a spouse uh, and they're the ones handling. So like in our you know family dynamic, I'm the one who handles all the money. My wife lets me handle that. And she would probably still be indifferent to money um, if I didn't push her not to be. So I make sure that once a month at a minimum, we sit down we go over the finances. She understands the investments we're making, what we're doing, um, how much she's earning, how things are going, like all that. We just do a quick little updates, make sure she knows where all the accounts are, if something happened to me, and, and we kind of go from there. So, you know, she may still be indifferent to money, but again, I force her a little bit to take a little, uh, some ownership of it. And um, I, I, like I said, I think she's changed her mindset a lot over the years, but um, yeah, that's kind of it. So if you're financially comfortable, just make it a point to know things like where your money's going, what your monthly expenses are, where you stand on debt. Doing all of these things can save you a lot of financial problems in the future. Um, and again, you don't have to think about it too much. You can automate your budget, you can automate your bills, you can do all that. You can still be not thinking about money very often um, and still have a plan for it. So uh, that's the indifferent to money. Again, great mindset um, as long as it's done within a healthy um uh, within a healthy framework. Number five, the saver splurger. So with the saver splurger, this one, I know it sounds like such a, <laughs> such a, um, uh, uh, dichotomy here. It's like black and white stuck next to each other. Um, so with this, you share a lot of common traits between savers and spenders. And this was kind of me early on, uh, because I didn't really, I, I identified with both sides of the coin when you looked at a traditional, you know, just two-way saver and spender category. Uh, you start saving a lot of money, but then you get into spending impulses out of nowhere. Uh, when you do use your savings, you might spend it on things you don't need or will rarely use. 
So the pitfalls of this is that it can be emotionally exhausting because the pendulum swings from compulsive saving to compulsive splurging. This was very much me early on because I would save, 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 save. And I'd be like, man, I'm doing really well. I've actually got a lot of money. Um, and then boom, I would just go out and I would just, you know, what you guys want to go on a trip to Mexico? Okay. Yeah, let's go. I don't even think about it. Boom. I'm just, I'm there. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I look back and go, Oh, you know what? Um, maybe I had enough money to go on that trip to Mexico, but maybe I didn't have enough money to go like that. Maybe I spent a little too much money while I was there. Maybe I should have actually set a budget for the trip, stuff like that. I would just get too comfortable and then I would justify it as being, oh, I'm being responsible with my money. So now I can go somewhere, do something, be completely irresponsible with my money. And th there was definitely a lot of, you know, pendulum swings there. So one thing to, you know, that saver spenders, they can end up really stressed. They can get a little disappointed in themselves for working so hard to save money only to lose it so quickly. Um, so like I said, it can be a little bit of an emotional roller coaster being a saver splurger. So like compulsive spenders or, or eh, I'm sorry, like compulsive spenders, what I would advise for saver splurgers is that you should really put thought into what you're spending money on that you're going to splurge. And before any big purchase, imagine how you're going to feel about it the next week. Just, you know, before you go and buy it, take 24 hours and say, do I really want to spend this money? Do I really want to spend that much money on it? Is there any way to do this a little cheaper? That kind of a thing. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys. Saver splurgers. Um, honestly, I'm probably still a saver splurger. I don't think that's actually changed. Uh, I, I'm sitting here talking past tense about my my early self, and now I'm looking at it. I'm going, no, that's that's still pretty much me. I, I, I'm thinking about it right now. I just bought a... Uh, my, I, I haven't bought anything for myself, any clothes, any whatever in a long time. I mean, and and just last night I was sitting there and just, you know what? Boom. Digital Iron Man collectible NFT. I think it's going to be worth a lot of money someday. VV app, 800 bucks. Boom. Done. <laughs> my wife is watching this. I love you. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I also justified it. Say that's an investment. I truly believe it's going to go up in value. All my other NFTs have. So uh, just something to consider. All right. Moving on, number six, The Gambler. Now, this is the most fun-sounding one. I will admit that. And I think this is pretty obvious what The Gambler personality traits. You are a mix between money makers and spenders. The thrill of risk and the promise of reward is a pleasure unto itself that you can quickly get lost in. You gamble away your money sometimes for the purpose of just escaping boredom. Uh, I have been to the casinos. I have played the blackjacks and the roulettes and all these other things. And let me tell you something. Gambling can be fun. Um, I definitely do not have that trait in uh, every aspect of my life. I would not consider myself a gambler. But have I gambled? Do I enjoy it from time to time? Absolutely. Uh, but I do have a budget when I gamble. And I go in with the mindset that I will lose it all and uh, that I'm really just paying to have some fun. So it's not that big of a deal. Well, the pitfall from just casually gambling from time to time to being a gambler is that they can encounter some really big windfalls and devastating losses uh, pretty suddenly. And the most obvious risk is when gambling gets out of control and they borrow against things like retirement money, children's college funds, their mortgages, whatever, to make up for losses along the way. That's when you really start to hurt yourself. So the goal is to be introspective and strict with the financial risks you take. And you have to have balance and security Otherwise, you know, it, maybe 
maybe you even, if you know you're a gambler, if you can, number one, you need accountability with it. So don't go off and do this on your own, especially if you're married. Um, but if that is something that gives you a lot of pleasure, you enjoy those big swings, you enjoy making money you know, big at times and then losing it at others, then set aside a budget. Okay, every month, $500, I'm going to bet on sports or I'm going to uh, go to the casino and do this or maybe I'm just hanging out with friends, playing a, a friendly poker game. Whatever the case is, budget to, so you can still you know, kind of get your fix, have that fun, um, but then it doesn't destroy you or hurt you that bad financially. And again, if you have a spouse, um, you definitely need to run this by them because that can be a really big source of contention in a relationship and whatever you end up doing needs to be agreed upon. Okay. So that is the gambler. And then last but not least is number seven, the warrior, not the warrior, but you know, little O there warrior. Um, it doesn't really matter how much money you have. You are constantly worried that you'll lose it at any given moment. You lack confidence in your abilities to achieve financial freedom and you constantly obsess over the worst case scenario of what will happen if you run out of money. So it's exactly what it sounds like. You are constantly worrying about money. And the pitfall of this is obvious. It, you know, it's, it's good to be aware of what could happen if you don't prepare for your future. But if you just let worry and anxiety eat away at your happiness in the present moment, I mean, that's never a good thing in any kind of situation. So the advice for this one's pretty obvious. Look for positivity around money conversations. Actually talk about money. This is something I highly recommend when I run into people who would fall in this category. I say, you know, I'm very open about my money and how much I make and all these other things. And I try to encourage other people to be as well in the context of um, beneficial conversations and uplifting conversations, not for, you know, the sake of being braggadocious or anything. And I think one thing that can help the worrier is that number one, when they realize they're not alone, a lot of their fears, other people, you know, are sharing with them, but they're handling it differently. I think that can really enlighten the worrier. Again, it's in, in with the worrier, I don't like to, you know, I don't like to psychoanalyze people too much, but obviously if you are worried about money, again, your history, you probably had a very, uh, you know, a family that had a very unhealthy relationship with money, whether there wasn't enough money to have any kind of relationship with, um, or you, maybe you were, you had plenty of money and it was abused in your family dynamic. And that caused a lot of family tensions. There's a, again, the lack of money is not always uh, the problem. Sometimes having too much money and disagreements on how to use it can cause a lot of family stress as well. Um, there is that uh, famous philosophical saying of uh, mo money, mo problems. So the worrier, again, this is not necessarily don't think like, oh, well, I've got money. So, you know, that's not me. No, sometimes if you got a lot of money, you think about money a lot more. Okay. And if worry starts to take over your mindset on a day-to-day -day basis, then those are some of the things you have to do. Find uplifting um, people, uh, you know, similar in your type of financial situation and uh, have, have good beneficial conversations about it, okay? So that is it. That is the seven personality types. Again, saver spender, that's great. Um, but there's a lot of categories deep down. And at the end of the day, we want to know thyself. So that way we can take the knowledge, apply it to the correct behaviors and go forth become billionaires, financially independent, and enjoy our lives and help people along the way. 
Hopefully you enjoyed this one and I will talk to you next time.